Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Welcome everybody to the Gabriel's Fellowship and um, if you would just uh, go around the room we'll say our names. My name is Grisha. I'm Susan. I'm Brad. Jimmy. Jeff. My name is Stephen. Jerry. I'm Greg. Jack. I'm Mike. I'm Donna Dossa. I'll introduce you in a second. <laughs> and then uh, we can just oh, say hello to our Oh, John. Oh, I'm sorry. And then on Zoom, we have Bill and Bob and Cass. Everybody wave. Charles, Chris, Daniel. Jason, Joe, Kai, Marcella, Marvin, Matthew, Michael, Mike, Tom, and Terry. So welcome everyone. Okay, I'd like to introduce Padmatara. Began meditating in 1989 and became interested in Buddhism in Brighton, England around the same time. She was ordained in the Triratna Buddhist order in 2005. Loves to share her practice. <laughs> Loves to share her practice with others through teaching and study, especially on retreats. She's also trained as a focusing guide, a kind of mindful body-oriented therapy. Pavatara became center director of the San Francisco Buddhist Center in 2010 and shares the role of chair with other members of the council. So thank you. For thank you. Thank you. It, um, I just want to say that you are far and away our favorite um, group renting this center. You were here long before I was, so um, I just we really appreciate you here. It's a great group of people, so it's good to be here with you, and uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, so my topic is working with inner demons or protectors. Um, and I will say that, as usual, my inner demons have been quite agitated in getting ready for this talk. I'm not the world's most confident public speaker, but I'm, I'm getting better. And uh, that meditation really helped to settle me down, settle my demons down. So I'm here now, <laughs> here with you. So thank you for that lovely meditation. Um, so yeah, working within the demons or protectors, it's a way of looking at things that's helped me over the years. Um, and I'm just going to share some thoughts about it with you. We all, I think, have experience of these demons, uh, though we might not call them that. Um, they're energies that seem to block our natural capacity, our longing for love, for awareness and for contentment. And to paraphrase a quote from Rumi that I like, we think we need to seek for love, but in fact our work is to get to know and soften the barriers that we place against it. The barriers 
for the extent of my talk, are the demons, the barriers of demons that guard our sensitive heart. But they also cut us off from love and compassion for ourselves and others, from the bodhicitta and from the awakening heart, or the soft spot, as Pema Chodron calls it. And until we gain their confidence, they won't let us pass. So our demons use various strategies you might recognize. They appear as craving, fantasy, aversion, harsh criticism, pride, indignation, doubt, anxiety, busyness, sleepiness, envy, to name but a few. Um, and they appear to deflect us from our true nature and their power lies in the fact that we resist them and that at the same time we're a little afraid of what lies beyond them and the demons know this too. So our inner demons, uh, I'll keep calling them our demons just for the sake of keeping it short, but they're not actually ours in that we don't create them. They're not our personality or our ego or something we have to get rid of. They're archetypal, universal. And they come and go in our experience and in the world. But as the saying goes, what we resist persists. And when we resist them, they stick around. And they really feel like me. Any group or country or culture or society any sangha has its demons too. I know my sangha has. And we can and should do our best to address those too. And, as with most things, it really, really helps to begin with ourselves, with our own heart and mind. If we befriend our own favorite demons, uh, learn not to resist their hidden wisdom, will be far more clear and kind with those of others and perhaps their demons will feel safe enough at some point to reveal their wisdom to us. One of my most familiar demons uh, likes to come to meetings with me and remind me that I'm a complete fraud, especially when I have some sort of responsibility or a talk to give. And often it likes to come back later at night and rehash all the mistakes that I've made. And because I've got to know this one quite well, there are times when I remember to try, not to try, to resist it and not to ignore it, but to turn towards it and say hello, give it some space, before it has a chance to overwhelm me with anxiety. And if I can find a pause, or a meditation even, and turn towards the actual feeling of discomfort or contraction, the raw, direct experience, or the soft spot, if I can hold it in awareness without resisting, the demon also pauses, at least for a moment. And the more I can do this, the softer the demon becomes, and the less bothersome. Mindfulness of direct experience is basic Buddhism, but it's not always easy or possible. Very often, before I'm even aware of any feelings at all, I 
find myself lost in self-criticism and doubt. The demon doesn't want me to feel certain uncomfortable feelings. It associates them with danger, even terror, so it automatically seizes any opportunity to distract me with stories about how I should be better, more interesting, more clear, or how other people should be better. It can kind of go back and forth between those. It knows it can hold my attention this way. And then in the middle of the night, when I wake up, it's ready with a montage of all the things I did wrong and everything bad that will happen in the future because of it. And the more I get lost in these stories, the further away I get from direct experience, from the earth, from what's happening now. And the easier it is for the demon to hold my attention the next time. So it's kind of strengthening the habit. So I find it helpful to think of these energies as visiting demons that have a message of some sort. Some sort. They've mostly become much less scary than they used to be as I've got to know them and their ways. They're more like cartoons or animals and some of them are quite cute actually. Um, framing things this way stops me getting quite so entangled in reactivity. In the, in the focusing therapy work uh, I do, these demons will be called protectors because even though they often use really harsh words, it's because this is their best strategy to distract me from the feelings that they really believe I can't handle. From their point of view, these feelings are indistinguishable from bad things that have happened in the past. So logically, they want me to avoid them. The body carries memories and trauma that may not be conscious and it makes sense to them to want to protect me from going through that again. There's something to know that these protectors don't care whether their words are truthful or not. It really doesn't matter to them. They just want to get our attention. So if you ever hear this kind of nagging, shaming voice in your head, it's really important to remember this. It has very little, if anything, to do with the truth. It's simply a strategy to draw our attention and distract us. There are a lot of stories in Buddhism about demons wanting attention. In the old stories, they're often found testing the patience of monks and nuns in meditation by hitting them on the head or yelling at them. I'm particularly interested in the mythological demons that show up in the Tibetan traditions, Buddhist traditions, where they're a bit more subtle and there's an emphasis on befriending and transforming them rather than fighting or eradicating them. And the first story I want to mention is of the Buddha-to-be, Shakyamuni, sitting under the tree close to enlightenment. He had come from a background of complete indulgence to a life of deliberate deprivation, almost starving himself. And neither of these methods had woken him up. And one day he took some food from a kind woman when he was really close to death. 
He'd already disappointed his family for going off seeking in the first place. Um, and now his ascetic friends were really disappointed in him for taking food. But he was realizing the middle way, not a compromise or even a moderation, but a state of mind and heart beyond the pull of attachment to worldly things and beyond aversion to them. He remembered a time when he'd been completely content and joyful with an open heart, sitting under a rose apple tree, watching his father's fields being plowed. It was completely different from the attachment and craving and all the emotions connected with them. He asked himself this, why did I fear this happiness that had nothing to do with sense pleasures or unwholesome qualities? And he decided not to fear it, just like that, and realized with complete certainty that this was the path to awakening. I think this is so interesting that he realized he was afraid of that complete contentment beyond craving and aversion. And it's possible that most of us experience this at some time in meditation or sitting in nature or just sitting. This um, absorbed, contented kind of happiness that doesn't need anything extra. And whether we're aware of it or not, we're a little afraid of that. And before long, the demons begin to protect us from that fear with familiar distractions. You wouldn't think that complete contentment would be fear-inducing, but we tend to fear the unknown. And contentment is not just very, it's just not very common in this culture or very encouraged. Um, some of it, I think, has to do with our nagging fear um, as people and as cultures, actually, that we ought to be doing something. The way we're wired to look for danger, to look through the lens of what's wrong or what could go wrong. But even without this, According to some teachings, it seems we inherit or pick up at an early age a fear of the boundlessness and the infinite potential of our own nature. And it's this fear that sets off the whole cycle of ignorance and uneasiness or dukkha. We can't tolerate the vastness of being that we belong to. So Instead, we align ourselves with the delusion of separateness, projecting our fear onto other people, and in doing so, strengthening our sense of solidity and the need to defend ourselves. These are the convoluted ways that our demons work with us. So right now, I invite you to think of a time where you felt the kind of happiness the Buddha-to-be felt under the rose apple tree. For me, it's sitting on a hill above a ridge at Jikoji Retreat Center. If you've ever been there, you'll know it. Looking out at the hills and the deer and the turkeys and the occasional peyote, I 
felt completely present there. It can also be in meditation or painting or writing or in the middle of regular life when suddenly a space opens up and we feel part of the world, free of thoughts of how things should be. And if nothing comes to mind as a memory, you can just imagine a space where you feel safe and spacious and open. Whatever it is for us, it's good to make note of it, to be able to quickly bring it to mind easily and embody it. We can kind of practice leaning into this sense of presence and contentment, trusting it. It's a powerful resource when we're working with our demons. Meanwhile, Shakyamuni, moved by his memory, set off to meet his experience directly, to confront fear without distracting himself, staying embodied and present without interpreting or reacting, basically being mindful. So the story goes, he came across a beautiful grove and sat under a tree with the intention of sitting until he was completely free. And that was when Mara, the king of demons, appeared. Mara tried to undermine Shakyamuni's resolve to distract him from peace, personifying his doubts, his cravings, and his fears. First, he tried to distract him with hatred and aversion, with an army of ugly demons firing arrows. But the arrows turned into flowers of love. There's lots of paintings of the Buddha in this position. And then he tried to induce craving and attachment, sent his beautiful daughters, but there was no reaction, just tranquility. And finally, with doubt. You don't deserve to wake up. You gave up your practice. Here you are, all alone and shameful. Your friends have left you. What gives you the right to be here? And the Buddha called the earth to witness, touched the earth, like this Buddha here. And the earth goddess appeared and declared that he had every right. It's such a beautiful and meaningful image that can be helpful for us to remember to bring ourselves back into presence, completely grounded, ready for whatever arises. Mara realized then that he couldn't distract this person and he left feeling dejected. And soon after, Shakyamuni became the awakened one, the Buddha. I like this story, but I will say that in my version, the Buddha thanks Mara for testing him and for revealing the barriers he needed to see in order to awaken. I feel like that's what the Buddha would have done. In later teachings, there's more of an emphasis on getting to know or befriending the demons that appear. The story of Padmasambhava, some of you will know, and the demons that kept destroying the temples in Tibet. Instead of trying to scare them away, as the monks had been doing, only to find them back again the next night, destroying another temple, 
Padmasambhava met with the demons. He got to know them and named them and gave them the job of guarding the treasures of the temple. I love this. Like the monks building their temple, we meditate and practice and just as we're feeling content and spacious and think we're getting somewhere, our demons come and tear everything down. Suddenly anger or fear or craving or doubt or some combination of all these demons appear. We can try chasing them, but they'll be back. Or we can turn to face them with friendliness, kindness. What is it they're worried about? What will happen if the temple is built? What is it that they fear for us? We can get really curious. And then we give them the job of guarding the treasures, which I'll say more about later. And they're willing to do this. They're willing to do this job because what they actually long for is to be useful. They've been trying to guard us all along to protect us from what scares them. And they love that we trust them enough to give them something important to do. And then there's Milarepa, the mountain hermit and advanced practitioner who came back one day to find his cave full of demons, eating his food, lying on his bed, generally making themselves at home. He tried chasing them out, which we know by now wouldn't work. Then he tried teaching them his advanced knowledge of the Dharma and nothing. He was a bit humbled then. He tried just letting them be, accepting them, getting on with things. And at that point, most of them did wander off, waving goodbye. But the biggest, scariest demon of all remained. Finally, Philaripa put his head in the demon's enormous mouth and the demon just disappeared. Milarepa surrendered. He gave up the idea that if he just got things right, if he knew enough dharma, if he said the right thing, demons would no longer appear. He didn't just let the demon be or turn towards it, experience it, all of which are helpful for our peace of mind. He went one step further. He let go of even the most subtle resistance. He let go of the illusion of separation altogether. And when the demon knew for certain that no, there was no ego agenda whatsoever, he left. And finally, I want to talk about the practice of feeding the demons that Lama Sultran Alioni adopted from the Chud practice or ch practice. Nobody is ever quite satisfied with the pronunciation of that word, but I think it's ch. First, we bring to mind something that challenges our equanimity or triggers us, triggers us and we visualize it as a demon sitting in front of us. We ask the demon what it wants, what it needs, and how it will feel if it gets what it needs. And then, this is important, we switch seats. And as the demon, we answer the questions. Then we switch back, and then we feed them. 
turn ourselves into nectar that satisfies their need. And we feed them until they feel safe and they rest. And when the demon is fully fed, when there's no more resistance, the energy that was tied up in fighting them is freed. And then the demon turns into an ally that protects and supports us and dissolves into us. At which point we simply rest in open awareness. There's a fantastic practice. Um, and like with Milarepa, we surrender to the demon, but this time the demon doesn't just leave and he doesn't need to be given a job to do it, transforms into an ally, a wise energy that reconnects us to our innate wisdom and love. Or I think more likely the demon has always been an ally. It just needed our full attention and friendship in order to show its true wisdom. Rilke has this beautiful saying, um, perhaps all the dragons in our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us act just once with beauty and courage. Perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love. So perhaps all our demons are really our allies waiting for our unconditional love. To go back to the first story of the Buddha, all he had to do was stay present and allow fear and other demons to come and go in their own time. And when we can simply be with our feelings directly, whether painful or pleasurable or boring, without resistance, there is no problem. It's simple, but not easy, like a lot of Buddhist teachings. It takes practice, and most of all, I'm learning, it takes experiencing it, resting in awareness, leaning back into presence, and enjoying contentment whenever we can, so that we begin to trust that this state is always available presence is always available, awareness, love. It's like the sun behind the clouds and we don't need to fear it. And as our demons appear, we can learn to recognize them, to be gentle with them, because they might be connected to really deep wounds and they won't trust us right away. It takes time and patience. They want our attention, but as the stories show, it takes a while for them to trust that we are not just trying to make them go away, that we're actually listening. And the truth is, probably we do want them to go away. But this aversion is actually just another demon. There's almost always a second demon that will intervene if it fears the first one is not doing its job. So we simply acknowledge that too. So just some steps, um, first we recognize whatever demons are there, the most important thing. If we can, we turn towards them and begin to build a relationship with them. 
maybe give them names. It helps to give them slightly humorous names sometimes. Hello, my old grumpy friend. I hear you. You're really not happy with this person right now. I can tell there's something painful there. That's okay. I'm here with you. They're there. Take as long as you need and let me know what you'd like from me. And it might sound a bit bonkers if you haven't done any kind of parts work before, but it's amazing how natural it feels after a while, how helpful it can be. So we get to know them and find out how they feel about things. And they may not cooperate immediately, they may hide or distract us again, and that's okay. Gradually they'll begin to trust we're just here with them, with no agenda, like the Buddha. We can sit and keep them company as long as they need. Perhaps they're an old demon we've known for a long time, and then our task is to cultivate some beginner's mind, or don't know mind, around them. Be curious, how might they be protecting us? How does our life look from their point of view? Perhaps they're new or new to us. Perhaps they haven't had the opportunity to show themselves before. And this is something to celebrate. We've created a space where previously unconscious feelings feel safe to come out into the open. All of them, old or new, all sizes and shapes, are pointing us towards something new, even as they try to distract us from it. They won't reveal what it is until they are certain we are ready, that we don't have an agenda with them, that we're not trying to manipulate them. We're just open and ready and grounded enough to hear their message. And eventually something new will emerge, something unexpected. Our demons transform into allies, revealing our boundless nature, our radiant, luminous heart-mind. Barriers, distractions and fears dissolve, and we can feel our feelings fully, kindly, compassionately, which is all our feelings ever really want. And we're just present with the magnificent, swirling beauty of reality. At least for a moment. So if you like, just to end, you can bring back the memory or the image of feeling absorbed and happy. And imagine when one of your demons arises, just sitting with it in that beautiful place. Not chasing it, arguing with it, ignoring it, educating it, advising it, simply sitting with it and allowing it in its own time to show you the treasure it's been guarding, your beautiful, boundless heart. So thank you for listening. I got a lot out of putting those thoughts together, so I hope some of it was helpful to you too. I think we have a few minutes if yeah, anyone has any time questions. questions.
It's uh, quite serendipitous because um, uh, uh, I've got a lot of change going on and I haven't been able to sleep for quite a while. And just only recently I realized how much uh, there's fear that I'm experiencing quite a lot of. Mm. And uh, just naming it and knowing that that's not me, that's, it's beautiful. It was mm. really, really struck me um, and just sitting with it. So I'll do that. Yeah, those those nighttime demons like they seem so much louder at night somehow. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and invoking the little ones, I like that. Yes, that's great. Tom on Zoom has a question. We'll see if the Wi-Fi holds up for his question. Go ahead, Tom. One of the things that, um, one of the scenes that you helped me remember was sitting atop of. You want to try it again? Should I try again the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> um, you know what? I'll skip the story about what you helped me visualize because it was really beautiful. But um, it occurs to me, Padmatara, that there's a theme in children's stories, children's books, of befriending the giant, the dragon, the sorcerer, you know, whatever it is, it could, of course, be scary. Mm -hmm. But I think through the innocence of a child, um, they accomplish this, and then it becomes their greatest benefactor, their greatest ally, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's really, that's wonderful. You're right. Absolutely right. I kind of do want to hear your image, but... <laughs> oh, well, just real quick. Um, what came to mind was sitting atop Buena Vista Park, up on the crest of it, looking out over the city, closing my eyes and hearing the wind come up on my left um, through eucalyptus trees and then wash over me and descend down the other side with a very different sound through the pine trees on the other side. And it occurs to me that maybe I could do that with things that are coming towards me. Um, just be calm, let them wash over me and do what they're going to do and, you know, sort of descend. 
Thank you. Yeah, that is beautiful. That's very helpful. Yeah. yeah. I don't think any of us spend enough time just really appreciating those moments. We're often mm. so ready to get on with the next problem that just, yeah, just being there on that hill, it's wonderful to remember. Anyone else have any favorite places they would like to bring up? Right here, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a good one. No, I, I, uh, I mean, I have been requests, but often uh, these kind of experiences happen when I have the feeling like I've been waiting a long time for this moment where it's just sort of unfolds and um, the conditions are such that, uh, mm. yeah, but this is one of the great, our favorites. Any other comments, questions? Okay. Well, thank well, you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> take this time to ask if there are any announcements. Jerry, yeah. I'm host today, and we have refreshments. We have hot water for tea. When you finish with your cup, put it in the sink, and I'll put it in the dishwasher. Uh, some people. Uh, Gather at 12:30 at the back or the front door to go to lunch. Everyone's welcome. Uh, let's see. Oh, I'll be coming around with a data bowl. Suggested uh, donation is 10 to 20 dollars. This helps pay our speakers, rent, uh, our newsletter, which predominantly goes to prisoners, and uh, hopefully we'll get back into feeding youth at Larkin Street. But we're still waiting for that. So that's just part of part of the money goes. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet if you want to be on the mailing list, or you can go to our new website, and you can uh, go in there and use that. And also, if you want to, you can go to the website to donate money uh, through PayPal or writing a check, and there's an address there. Did I miss anything? <clears throat> Any other announcements? And those of you online, uh, George is really quick about getting the recordings back up onto the website, so you'll be able to hear the full uninterrupted, uninterrupted version of Dharma <laughs> today <laughs> later. Um, let's see, next week, March 27th, will be small, small group discussions, and we'll try on Zoom also to put you into breakout rooms and see how that goes. And, uh, yeah. Uh, any other announcements? Right. Do you have a, a dedication of merit that you'd like to use, or would you like to, us to use our? I would like to hear yours, actually. Okay, That's Cass right. isn't here to read with I'll pull it up. Really. Uh -huh. All right. Got it. By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. 
may all be never separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow, and may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.